I didn't know where to put it in my intro, but there was a quote this morning in a Bible study I was listening to that fell right in line with, with something from today and now from that song at the same time. So I kind of want to share that with you, and then I want you to think about a lyric from that song we just sang. The quote was this this morning. It says, Satan loves to use Christian vocabulary, but he hadn't checked the Christian dictionary out. And I think that's so true, man, because if you get around enough temptation, enough stuff of this world, the enemy uses scriptural vocabulary all the time. The problem is why he uses that vocabulary and the world uses that vocabulary. They hadn't checked out what those words actually mean. A true Christian definition of each of them. So in thinking about that and then thinking about the lyric from that song just now, man, and I hope that song did something for you like it did for me. You know, you're in the presence of God now. So the miracle can take place. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know what your miracle is. I don't know what you need healing from. I don't know, you know, what's going on in everybody's life. But I know all of us can use a miracle at some stage. A miracle doesn't have to be this big healing thing as far as a physical thing. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. A miracle can be your relationship getting right. Whether it be your relationship with the Lord, your relationship with your spouse, relationship with the child, relationship at work. You know, whatever it is. So I just want to make sure you understand, like, when we sing those words... You're in the presence of God. Miracles can truly happen now. Like, that's what we came expecting. You know what I'm saying? Because we've done an ill justice to the Savior if we came to church this morning and didn't expect Him to be able to do something big and mighty. Right? So, so when we say that, I want to make sure we believe that. Because the other part is this, and here's where Colossians gets in a little bit of trouble. By the way, this is, this is like God's love letter to us. Um, that's, that's kind of how I titled it, you know, God's love letter, you know, the series or whatever. Uh, you know, he, he's going back over some things that may be gotten. And for some of us, maybe this will be a review. For some of us, it'll be some of the stuff we've heard for the, for the very first time. But this church in Colossia is flourishing. They've emptied themselves. They've allowed the presence of God to come in and miracles to start happening. And then they let the world get their foot in the door. Paul heard about this. If you, if you actually study some of the, and I don't know how accurate they are, so I just thought this is kind of like a, a neat little thing. If it's true, prison records and stuff would show that this guy, Epifra, Ep, man, I was going to, I had said so well until you messed it up. Oh, first time I could ever say that in my life with pronunciation, right? But until E number two come in, E number one who had visited from Philippians, we ain't going to mess them up. Epaphroditus, I did learn how to say that through the, through the course, right? So, so he, he's this visitor that comes right after. But he's also the pastor slash founder of this church, a church in which Paul's never been to. Paul's never visited, but he's got enough hearsay from this guy who thought enough to travel another thousand miles to come and spend some time with Paul. And when he gets there, he gives this this report. And we know from what Paul's about to write today and what Paul writes into the later four chapters of this letter, that this church has been great. He talks about their love. He talks about their fruit. He talks about their growth. He talks about how awesome they are. But he also has to talk about, hey, you've been letting the world get involved just a little bit. And you've been letting the world kind of mix up some of your views a little bit. You let, you've been letting the world add to the presence of Christ. And guys, I'm going to be honest with you. Christ is a perfect gentleman. Scripture tells us that, right? So, so if we've got a whole lot of him, and then we start bringing a whole bunch of other junk in, he's going to be the first to kind of scoot himself onto the side if you let him. You know what I'm saying? So then the, the, his presence will then leave. Well, guess what happens when his presence leaves? The miracle ceases. The fruit ceases. The confidence ceases. The knowledge ceases. And that's a scary, scary place when we're talking about a believer. Because I, I would look at our world today, to be honest with you, the more I read about Colossia or uh, Colossia, however you want to pronounce it, and, and I would tell you right now, like we're, we are very similar to the world they were in. They were a strong church, but they were now allowing other resources to just come in and add to the belief system. Whether it be religious groups telling them they had to do certain works or whether it be other groups who were just trying to trying to bring, bring in some other ideas and, and other stuff. I'm talking about a lot of mixed views, man. You study a lot of time period and, and things that they believed in this time period in this area. There's some crazy stuff out there. There's groups who believed like Jesus was was real, but like God couldn't form anything because anything formed became bad. So then therefore, Jesus was just a manipulation of a spirit. That's why they never saw his footprints and he was able to walk through walls and all. I mean, you read some of this stuff and they've manipulated so much of, of what's out there. It's crazy. But then I look at the church today and I'm like, man, we get a lot of stuff from TV. We get a lot of our stuff from movies. 
We get a lot of our stuff from books and philosophies and, and we've really become like this church of Colosseum. and we've allowed the world to get involved with what we believe and kind of even begin to change maybe what we believe. Amen. We live in a world where, where a lot of people in a lot of groups, they're not even necessarily against Jesus. There it goes with that, that Satan using religious terms. He's not against Jesus. He's just going to make sure Jesus isn't sufficient enough to be the only thing you need. You know, Jesus is not central, but he is important. That's what the world will throw out there. If Jesus isn't central, guys, we've missed it. If Jesus is prestigious only and not preeminent, we've missed it. And, and, and the world is going to try its hardest to mix that stuff up. So to, your theme, I guess you could say, the book of Colossians is this. If you, if you need a title for it, it's the sufficiency of Christ. He's going to go into this thing and he's going to, he's going to knock on every head and every belief about Christ being enough. You don't need nothing to add to. You don't need nothing to, to mix stuff up. He is the center of all creation. And Jesus is truly all we need. I was reading about a church that began to expand uh, out in California. Believe it or not, they got some good churches in California too. I know that's hard. Probably not a lot of them. But this one was doing really, really good. So this, this group of other churches. Now this was a non-denominational church. And a bunch of denominational churches got together. I'll tell you how corrupt religion gets, right? They get together and they're writing. And finally, one of the guys is interviewed. And they said, well, well, what do you have to say about this? I'm not going to use no names. What do you have to say about this other church? And he said, man, the only thing they got to offer to people is Jesus. <laughs> and I read that and I'm like, your fault for a church that's growing is the only thing they have to offer is Jesus? I'm a tearing out. Jesus is all we need. Huh? I mean, I thought it was crazy that y'all started before I come down. Luckily, I got real quiet upstairs and realized, man, if all the kids are downstairs, that probably means I'm late. And I come in, y'all don't, I had to ask Katie Beth, I said, what song now? She said, song number two. In my head, I thought, man, they ain't even going to wait on me to start. You don't need me to start. You just need Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, he can take over the whole service and you'd be good to go. Uh, and, and, and that's where it says. So Paul's writing this letter and he's telling these guys, he guys, don't let the world mix up your views. All you need is Christ. And one thing I absolutely love on this, and maybe this is kind of point number one, even what's supposed to be a point, is we never find out exactly what the problem was. We know from history that it was stuff being added to, but we don't know exactly what it was. Because Paul takes this whole book, this whole letter, four chapters, 99 verses or 95 verses, something like that, and he does nothing but dwell on the solution. So write down point number one, mini subtitle number one, half a lesson number one, whatever you want to call it. How often do you focus on the problem rather than focus on the solution? And is that not some of our problems sometimes? We focus so much on the problem. We beat on the problem. We get on the problem. We talk about the problem. We share everybody in the world with the problem. And we call our friends and tell them about the problem. And we text about the problem. And we Facebook about the problem. And we Instagram about the problem. And problem, 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 problem. Paul don't even talk about the problem in the whole letter. We only know from history and some of the things that he combats with on what the problem is. Paul talks about the solution the entire time. And the solution is this. You guys just need a better understanding, a real understanding of Jesus. Because if you get a real understanding of Jesus, it'll help combat any counterfeit no matter what it is. So I just wonder sometimes if we focus so much on the problem that we've neglected to learn enough about Jesus that we can even combat the counterfeits when they come our way. Or if we get so stuck on our problems and our marriages and in our life and at work and at home and with our bills and with our vehicles and all this other stuff that we get so focused on the problem that we forget to go to the solution. Why would you want to focus on the problem when the problem is what got you feeling miserable already? Am I right? Any of you got a problem that make you feel better? No, because then it ain't called a problem. Right? Problems make you feel like crap. They stress you out. They, they worry you. They bother you. You, you, you. you get overwhelmed with them. You get filled with them, which I'm going to get to that word in just a minute, so I don't want to get there yet. Paul says, I want to fill you guys with the solution Jesus Christ. So let's look at this thing. Number one, I had a whole lot more for an intro on history and all that stuff, and we may come back to it. I don't know. Right? But I just want to get into it, man. Number one, he says, from Paul the Apostle. Now, we know Paul starts almost all his letters this way. I had never even thought about it until the other day. I'm sitting there kind of just wondering, like, why is Paul always, why do they always start their letter? Because if you're opening a scroll, you don't want to have to open. You remember if you got a love note from somebody in class? I know y'all don't get love notes no more. Now it's like a text or a tweet, I guess, right? It's a little old school right here. We used to actually write notes. We had to take our hand and hope that the girl could translate what we were writing with bad handwriting and figure it out. Somewhere in there, they would flip that thing over real quick to see who it was from, Right? Paul's writing on a scroll, though. So at the very beginning, he's got to tell him, I'm Paul. 
I don't need you to look to the end. I don't need you to open the whole scroll to figure this out. I want to make sure from the very beginning, you know, I am Paul. What does he say? I am Paul the apostle. The only reason he's pointing this out is to make sure they understand, guys, you've been dealing with a lot of false teachings, a lot of counterfeit stuff. And I want to make sure you guys know, like, I'm the real deal. I'm bringing in under the authority of Christ. I've been built on his foundation and I'm bringing the solution to you because of that. So when Paul writes this, he's not trying to elevate himself. He's just making sure the church understands, guys, I'm writing as a representative of the Lord. It's no different than when a true preacher stands up and preaches. He's not anything more special than anybody else, but he's bringing, hopefully, if he did it right, he's going to do it right. He's bringing the authority in the word of the Lord because he's preaching his word. Right? So Paul's saying, I am the, I am the apostle Paul. And then he talks about his friend Timothy. And here's kind of another, there's a lot of like many lessons in this beginning, man. I didn't really think about it, right? Paul understood the importance of partnership. Paul understood the importance of partnership. And I don't know if we as a church understand, maybe we're beginning to because we get into missions so much now, but I hope we understand the importance of partnership. Like she's not standing up asking for money all the time just because she wants to get there. I believe the Lord would drop a check down from heaven to get her there if that's how he wanted to do it, Right. They're giving you the opportunity, like we looked at in Philippians, to get some fruit. You might not be able to go, but you might be able to help. You know what I'm saying? It might build up the confidence of somebody else who, who, I don't know if I can go because the Lord has already provided a way for you to go. So are you going to go? Well, if he provided a way and already made a way, I guess I should go. You know what I'm saying? Like, like not just here, uh, Puerto Rico the same way when when our our brother in Africa and, and, and other organizations around this world, right? There is something special and something important about partnership and ministry. And that's a bond, man. That's a bond. I never thought Mitch owned a jacket. I'm going to be honest with you guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm thinking about faith. That's the only way I communicate with, with Rogers and him over there, by the way, is Facebook message. I'm going to like Facebook message and say, man, Mitch wore a jacket to church. You know what I'm saying? Like, normally that brother got on some cutoff shorts and some flip-flops. And it wouldn't surprise me if he wore cutoff shorts, flip-flops, and a jacket at the same time. Right? That's a bond you can't break. Right? This is what he's talking about. He goes, this, this is, Timothy's my partner. Timothy's been with me through this stuff. And I just want to point out one more time also, Paul's maturing of the faith, which seems weird to talk about. Probably the second greatest person next to Jesus in the New Testament, maturing in the faith. But Timothy was, was kind of a punk, if you guys be, if I can be honest with you guys. I remember when Pastor Tim told me, he says, you need to study the book of Timothy if you're going to be a pastor, you know, so young and whatnot. So I was looking for reasons to get out of it. I was like, all right, I'll find whatever reason I, I can't get. It's like, man, Timothy was weak. He was always getting sick. He, he was homesick all the time. He had all these like problems. And I'm like, what's wrong with this dude? Be it when Paul, who at one point, remember, was really mad at somebody for not being strong, for not being a superhero. Paul talks about this guy and says, man, I, I love this dude. Like this dude, he's been with me since the, we, they first met on Paul's second missionary jury, Acts chapter 19. And, and, and like Paul's now a prisoner and Timothy's still there with him. You know what I'm saying? Like this, this relationship has been, been elevated. We, we looked at it months ago, Philippians chapter 2. Probably the, the best expression of Paul's feelings about this young guy. I just want to read it one more time to us. He said, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. So that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of a kindred spirit. I got nobody else who loves me like this guy loves me. Who would genuinely be concerned for your welfare as also. When you partner with people in the ministry, you find people who care as much about those that you care about as you care about. I think I said that right. Right? Like, like you want to find people who are like passionate about the thing that you're passionate about. It'll do you no good to get you a partner in the ministry if they're passionate about this and you're passionate about that. It, it, it goes back to, by the way, I hope you understand you that are looking for spouses. Like when you're equally yoked, equally yoked means you better find somebody who's passionate about the same things you're passionate about. Because if not, I can tell you right now, I don't know if it's five years, 10 years or 50 years, you're going to be miserable. That's why he tells you, he says, make sure you, you with somebody who's passionate about the things you're passionate about. Right? Like who's crazy about the things you're passionate about. So that's what he says, this guy Generally concerned for your welfare. He's been a kinder spirit to me for all seek after their own interests. He's talking about all his other preachers that are going on, by the way, if you don't remember that from Philippians. He's saying all these guys are speaking about themselves. They're not even talking about Jesus. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel. Then he says, like a child serving with his father. Paul ain't had no kids, but he looked at Timothy like a spiritual son. You know, that bond and that relationship they, they've got. So, so anyway, he's... He's big in understanding the importance of partnership and ministry. 
This this pastor who came to him, Epaphras, he from he's from Ephesians, by the way. Uh, you know, Paul probably went to Ephesians and preached. Um, and then this guy heard it from there and he got right. He goes home and starts the first church, which would be like a Bible study, home church kind of thing going. And, and, and that's what booms the, the church of Colossians. So anyway, or Colossia, I forgot we're going to pronounce it both ways. Verse two says grace to you guys and peace from God, the father, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Not a, not a phrase that's unheard of with Paul. He says, he says, grace, grace is God's unmerited favor. Then comes peace. You can't, you don't understand. You can't have peace if you ain't got grace. I hope you understand. There's an order that Paul keeps these words in all the time. Some of y'all ain't got no peace in your life because you ain't got no grace in your life. You, you understand what I'm saying? Like, and you can't have peace and you can't share peace because you ain't got grace and you can't share grace then either. Right? So, so look at this. He's saying, he's saying grace and peace, grace, God's unmerited favor. Peace is the results of grace that's been received. Grace produces a well-being inside of us. Grace is God's provision for the Christian life. Peace, that's the enjoyment of those provisions. That's the, that's the man. This, this, is, this is some good stuff, right? I, I feel more relaxed about it. I feel good about what's going on. If someone doesn't have peace in their life, it's probably because they don't have that grace. So, so I want to look at that grace for just, just two seconds real quick, right? I want to ask you, write it down. Don't answer it out loud. Do you have that grace? And second question, do you give that grace? I read a, read a, uh, I guess you'd call it a testimony from a lady. She was a, she was a prostitute, had a child. Um, I guess after prostitution and you get a kid, you kind of get fired. Uh, so anyway, she, she's kind of let go and, but I mean, she's just, she's just lost. She's, she's homeless as all get out. She's, she's seeking out for help. And, and finally some lady she runs into on the street, ask her, she says, have you tried the church? And this, this is what she wrote. She said, why would I feel more? Why would I want to feel more guilty than I already feel now? So, so I just wonder, because I read that, and then I read about some prostitutes. I don't know if you guys read about them, but there's some prostitutes in the New Testament that ran to Jesus. So I'm like, what are we doing different now where we're pushing prostitutes away rather than them wanting to run to us if we're supposed to be mimicking Christ? And if you're thinking, well, we, we don't really have a lot of them around here, Pastor. What about the other sins then? That was just an example. It ain't got to be prostitution. What about something else, right? What about something that's real close to home, huh? Why aren't they running to us for the answers? Why aren't they running to us for the, for the comfort? You know what I'm saying? Like it shouldn't be they're trying to get away from us because we're going to make them feel bad. It should be, I, I need to get over there because those are the only people that are going to love on me. Right? I, I just need to get as close to them as I can. People being pushed away or people being drawn to? Maybe that's the way to word it. What's going on in the church? Right? I think the world is hungry for grace, guys. I think there's people in this world who are longing for grace. And I fully believe when we talk about a, a Christianity uh, a trait, grace is one of our best gifts to the world. Because if we exhibit grace, if we practice grace, if we share grace, that's a force that is stronger than vengeance. You know what I'm talking about? Like with all the war talk going on, it's stronger than racism with all that talk going on. It's stronger than hate. Like grace is it. Yet sadly, we in a world... Who might be desperate for it, but we got a lot of churches promoting ungrace to the world. So they're ashamed to let you know what's going on in their life because they're ashamed and they're afraid of how, how you're going to make them feel from this thing. Paul says grace and peace to you guys. Why? Because if you get grace from God, you get peace with God. And if you get peace with God, go back to Philippians again, man, it just surpasses all comprehension. Like It, it just blows your mind, right? Here, here's maybe another one. Here's maybe a bonus that comes with it. You know, if you got peace with God, you can have peace with yourself. You understand? Write that down if you didn't get it. Because I, I think that's more important than I thought it was when I first got it. Right? If you get peace with God, you can then have peace with yourself. If you ain't got peace with yourself, maybe you need to do a little check and balance and say, man, what, what is my relationship like with the Lord? Where am I at in my peace and grace with Christ? Maybe your whole world's in a turmoil, not only because you're at war with yourself, because you're spiritually at war with the Lord. Right? Get peace with God. Get peace with yourself. I think that's an extra bonus that would be real nice to, to have. Then Paul does what he does in a lot of his letters as well. Gets that intro out of the way. Yes, that was just two verses. <laughs> Don't worry, we're going to make it to like 12, I think, even though we read through 14. Then he busts into this prayer. Like he's just, he's just at the very beginning of this thing, like instantly. Look, look, look at the very beginning, right? Grace and peace to be from the God our Father. And then boom, we're always thanking God for you. He goes right, in, right into this, this prayer. Continual thanks. 
And what I love about Paul, man, and maybe this is something we need to mimic as well, is it's just so natural for Paul to flow right into a prayer. Like he's writing this letter, he's telling him, hey, this is who I am. And I just want you to know, this is what I'm praying for you for. You ever been specific when you tell people what you're praying for them for? Or you just say, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm looking out for you, right? Duke, I'm praying your turmoil at work doesn't mess up stuff in your personal life. Right? He shared with him the other night, like, like schedule might be getting ready to change. So I'm praying, brother, you stay strong. You know what I'm saying? Like, like how, how specific do you get when you look at people and, and you pray for them? You, right? Like sharing with them. Alan, I'm praying, brother, that the Lord will use you as a leader in your household. Right? Be specific. Tell people specifically how you're praying for them. Is that better or is it just a general, oh, you know, I'm praying for you. Praying that the Lord will hit you over the head with a bat, but I'm praying for you. Right? <laughs> Let's be specific in how we pray. Man, I'm praying for, I'm praying for healing with whatever you're fighting. I, I, I'm praying for, for your marriage. I'm praying with how you handle what's coming your way. I, I, I'm praying for, for the storm you're about to go into that, that, that we both know is coming. Could you imagine knowing a storm's coming and not knowing how you're going to deal with it? What's the one thing that can make it better? To know somebody's praying. Right? Specifically about how you're going to handle what's coming next. I'm praying that you make a wise decision in where you're going to work next. I'm praying that you make a, a good decision in, in, in washing your pastor's truck instead of his grandma's car. Like I, You know what I'm saying? Like I'm just throwing stuff out there. I don't know specifically what it should be. Claybar probably is what it needs right now, but no big deal, right? How are we praying? Do our prayers... Resemble those of scripture there. Maybe that's a good question. Because here's what I love. You know, Paul goes right into thankfulness and even tells them what he's thankful for. He says, I'm so thankful for your lives that are demonstrating that God's at work in you, that the gospel is bearing fruit in you. Any of you guys love fruit? I love fruit. I think it's great. Sometimes I love it so much because I think I'm going to be healthy. I buy a lot of it. So much of it that I don't eat it all. Because there's ice cream and cookies and <laughs> carrot cake sitting on my counter. That's way better, <laughs> right? But but here's what I, here's what I've learned. Seriously, when you think about fruit, do you realize fruit, as good as it is, the longer it sits, it draws bugs. Did you know that? I mean, as healthy as it is, as good as fruit is, if it sits too long, it draws bugs. Might it be, as Paul writes about this and he's saying, I've heard about the fruit you guys are producing. Might he be thinking there's some bugs coming too? Right? There's some people who's going to come and bug you about what you need to add and what you need to change and what you need to do and how it needs to be. There's some bugs coming because you got this fruit. Like fruit is a good thing. I don't mean to take away from it in any, any means, especially when we're talking about spiritual fruit. But we also need to be aware, by the way, and I think that's where Paul's at, which makes him so awesome, is he understands like I'm praying for you guys while things are good. Like before they get as bad as they could get with some of the influences that are all around you guys. We need that kind of prayer. Do we understand that? I'm quick to pray when I know somebody's struggling or in pain. Why am I so slow to pray when I know somebody's doing great? Right? Is it not equal prayer? Matter of fact, they might even need more because if they're doing great, guess who else sees them doing great? The greatest bug of them all, right? And you better believe he's going to come and bug them, right? I'll squish his bug eyes out. Oh, just saying, right? Paul heard they're growing, so he becomes thankful. So look at this, or maybe write this down too. A Christ-centered life is a prayer-centered life. If you ain't praying a lot, it tells me your life ain't Christ-centered. Right? Because if you're not communicating with him, you're not sharing stuff with him, right? Committed followers of Christ... When they see God using a person, they get thankful. Paul's not like, remember Paul's sitting in jail again, by the way. I left that out of the intro. This is all, so there's four letters written at the, the same time period of Philippians. 60 to 63 AD, somewhere in there, roughly. This is the third, right? So, so Paul's writing this from prison. He's not upset. He's not mad. He's not like, good things are happening to you guys while I'm sitting in prison. Yay. He's genuinely like thrilled what's going on. Do you realize it's okay? To be happy for other people. Do you understand that? As believers, I think you're almost commanded to, by the way. Right? Like you, you should be happy about this kind of thing. So, so he gets thankful that people are being used by God and he even writes about it. Verse three. After this, he says, we give thanks to God, the father, Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Always. Thanksgiving needs to be a part of every prayer that we have. This becomes a practice and a habit for Paul. 
The, the, the word that he uses here, since he's most likely writing a Greek speaking group, um, you know, the word thanks is Eucharist. It's the same word that we, we pull out of the uh, Greek language for the Lord's Supper. Thankfulness for what Jesus has done on the cross. And this whole book talks about Christ more than anything else. So I'm going to tell you, like, while we're on Colossians, we're going to take part in doing the Lord's Supper one of those weeks. I don't know which week yet, but like, I, I know, I know that's going to be one of those things, right? Rather than a tendency to pray when people are hurting or backslidden, we need to make sure we're praying for their advancement. We need to make sure that we're being thankful and full of praise. When I talk about, do we pray the way scripture prays? When Paul breaks into prayer, he's excited about stuff a lot of times. He's not mopey and gropey and whining and complaining. He's like, man, there's some good stuff going on. I just want to praise God for that. And I want to praise God for this group. So four through eight, he expresses his reasons for his thankfulness. Check this out. And we get the triad of thankfulness, by the way. Maybe you could say it this way. If you want three marks for a successful believer, successful church, here's your three marks. Faith. Hope and love. Three things that dominated Paul's thinking as a Christian. First one was, was what? Faith. First mark of a mature fellow, faith. Hebrews tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's everything you're doing. If it's not done in faith, impossible for God to have been pleased from it. Therefore, when, when a church gathers together, what we say at the beginning, when a church gathers at, at the beginning and, and gathers together and gets excited, if they don't believe God's going to work, they're not going to experience no renewal, no revival, and no blessing. If you came here this morning not expecting God to work and do big old mighty awesome things, you're probably going to miss out on something. And it's not going to be the preacher's fault. It's not going to be the singer's fault. It's not going to be your buddy sitting next to you's fault. It's going to be your fault. Because you didn't come expecting with faith how awesome and the power to God has. Second thing he marks. We go into a sermon on each of these, but I'm going to be respectful of your time and not do that, right? Second thing. He says love. You realize love identifies us as Jesus' disciples? What did Jesus tell his disciples? John chapter 13, verse 35. He looks at his disciples and says, by this. What is this? By the love. By the love you have for one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples. So you got to ask yourself, guys, does the world know that you're a believer? By your love. By the way you act. Huh? I lost it a little bit yesterday. And I tell you, man, you won't talk about getting hit hard. So my wife won't like this and mama won't like this, but it's all right. <laughs> all right. I leave work. I'm on my motorcycle. It's nice. It's comfortable. There's this car trying to pass. No, it wasn't even that. I was being respectful of the speed limit. Something I don't often do, but I was doing this time, right? And, and, and actually, I didn't leave work. I'm sorry. We had just left Haley's Taekwondo things. It was a little bit later in the afternoon. Anyway, a slew of cars coming down 27. One car goes to pass all these other cars. I look. I say, there's not enough room. So I did what anybody on a motorcycle would do. I sped up to come head at them, to make them think about what they were doing. And then as I got as close as I'm just being honest with you guys, I got to confess it all the way. Right. So I get as close as I can coming at them and then swerve at the last minute just to, to V around and wave my hand at them a little bit. <laughs> Do you know, I felt guilty to whole, ruin the whole ride. I did, man. I'm telling you straight up. Like it was like the Lord hit me through the helmet. Yes, I did have a helmet on. Right. It was like the Lord hit me through the helmet and the back of the head. Your big old painted Jesus on the front of your motorcycle. Crosses going down the side and crosses going on the back. And you waving hands, swerving at cars at 80 miles an hour. 60, 45, 54. I was under the speed limit. You're going to tell the truth. You might as well tell all the truth, right? Law school. Huh? But I'm telling you guys straight up, man. And here's why I'm telling you this. Was I justified in being mad at a car doing that? Oh, yeah. That was the dumbest thing. If you were driving that car and you're in this church today, you're a moron. Right? I ain't taking away that part of it. I'm just telling you straight up. What I am taking away from it, though, is I was the moron for reacting the wrong way. Because look at what Paul's praying, by the way. This is a good part, right? Not only is he talking about this love, because love is the fruit of faith that produces this genuine, genuine faith. And as Galatians 5, 6 says that, it says love is transforming. Act. It says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Paul's not praying that these guys have an easy life. He ain't. He's not praying that diseases go away. He's not praying for political power. He's not, he's not praying for them to get rich. All the things he could be praying for, he ain't praying for none of that. What he's praying for, what he's praying for, look at it, 
is that they would have more faith, more hope, and more love. What he's praying for is that the church would be so full of this. And I think this just church really was, right? True faith produces love, right? Unconditional love to imperfect followers, to cars that swerve at you. Right? He's trying to produce something in them that when situations are done by people not being smart, that you can react in the right way and not the wrong way. Right? Man, it sucks when God hits you. I can't even express how bad it was other than that right there, right? It's probably the greatest characteristic of the church. Probably the, It is our greatest commandment, right? So, so ask yourself this. Again, don't answer out loud unless you just want the church to think less of you like me. Are you exhibiting this kind of love in your life? Love that's felt, love that's seen. Love like this grace. Love that's drawing people to or pushing people away. Verse 4. He says, since we heard. Since we heard. It means Paul heard about this thing and he ain't stopped about it since, right? He's been crazy about these people ever since he heard about how great things are going. This letter, full of love, full of concern, written to this church, sharing all this stuff with them. A church, by the way, maybe this is... Maybe this is super significant. Maybe this is why you were called to wear that jacket and stand up today. Paul had never seen these guys. He had never been there. He'd never visited the city. He had never preached to one of them. The only one he knew was the pastor who came to visit, right? That's it. But yet he is still crazy about them. You realize we're united by something greater than the presence of being with people? You realize you can love them people in Africa. You can love them people in Honduras. You can love them people in Puerto Rico. You can love them people over there in Portland, Washington. You realize you can love people you ain't never met because of the connection we have through the Holy Spirit. You realize you can have deep and great concern for people because of a love that unites us. This is what Paul's doing. Paul's saying, I ain't never seen these people, yet I'm so concerned for them. I'm so worried about them. I'm so praying for them. I so want to respond the right way to them. This is good, man. This is good, right? Thankful they're, they're short. And here's what he says. Again, being real specific with him. He's saying, guys, I want you to understand, like, I'm thankful for your hope of heaven. I'm not, I'm not beating around the bush. I'm not hope, you know, thankful for this. I'm thankful for this third, third triad or whatever you want to call it. The great, the great triad, right? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. I'm thankful that you have faith in the past to rest on. That you got a love that's working in the present. And I'm also thankful that you got a hope that's looking toward the future. And that's what he's telling this church, seeing the, seeing the mysteries of God, which, which I love. Cause I'm telling you right now, God laid up this hope in heaven. So this is not like some, some like little kid with his fingers crossed, wishing he gets something for Christmas guys. This is like a, a confident hope. They're expressing this love without holding back. They don't have to vaguely wish for something. They've got complete confidence in the reality that Christ is going to do what Christ said he's going to do. And I hope when we talk about hope, we don't look at it as, as this word of like, oh man, I hope I win the lottery. Or some of you are thinking, I hope it don't rain today. You know, some of you ain't got no hope, which makes it even sadder. You ever sat with somebody who's got no hope to anchor their life to? Man, that's some of the saddest conversations you'll ever have. And Paul's writing to me saying, man, your hope, your hope's not in the lottery or the weather. Your hope is in a promise from God. And the fact that you don't have no hope, let me, let me get you some of it. Let me tell you about these, these promises. Not well wishing, but assured. What, that's why faith is in there, right? It was assured through the faith. It was the assurance of things hoped for. It was a yearning and a confident expectation. And they could be assured of it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had been given to them. Right? What did he tell them when he said, when I leave, what I'm going to send you a, a gift, a deposit. One that's more mighty than me. You know what he was implying with all that? He's going, he's going I'm going to leave, but I, I'm going to send you something that's like a down payment. And you know if I drop a down payment, I'm coming back. So, so, they, so they've got that going on, and that, that brings them this hope. That gives them the confidence to, to go through. Then Paul goes even further, man. Right? And I do believe that a church, a family, an individual that's focused on faith, hope, and love, they'll be the most stable, solid, secure group there is. Right? Because here's what he says next, five and six. He says, I'm thankful for the gospel. I'm thankful for how you guys are reacting, you know, but, but I want to make sure I, I want to make sure I give the right things because how did you receive this faith, hope and love from the word of truth? You got it from the word of truth. So he's telling him, he goes, I am thankful for the gospel that brought it to you. The, the gospel, the hope that is based in the word of truth. You know what gospel means? Good news. 
So he's telling me, he goes, here's the good news. And we, we use it sometime in the, in the verb form, which means to preach the good news or, or whatnot, right? He's saying the gospel is to be shared with you because it is the word of truth. So it's more than like this promise of, of the next life. It's more than the promise of forgiveness of sins. Like this good news goes deeper than that. This good news goes into every area of your life. And I'm thankful that you got the gospel. I'm thankful that it's growing and producing things in you. That's what he says at 6B or the second half of verse 6. He says, I'm thankful for your growth. Gospel produces growth. Look at six. This gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it. You realize the minute you heard the gospel and accepted it, it should have started producing some fruit in you. Now, it might just be like some little fig newtons to start off with. Right. But it should be producing something that whole time. According to Romans chapter one, verse 16. I think that one's up there. Look at this. Talk about a powerful word when we talk about what God can do. It's not up there. You should have your Bibles. Oh, it is up there. You should have your Bibles anyway. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of that good news. I'm not ashamed of the word of truth. Because truth, gospel, good news, the good news of truth, is the power of God. You know the word power? You've probably heard this before, but you know what it, you know what it translates into? Dunamis, D-U-N-A-M-I-S. What does it sound like? Dynamite. Dynamite. What Paul is saying, this is what he's literally right now, right? He's saying the gospel message is the dynamite of God that can break through hearts, that can break down barriers, that can stop sinful habits, that can produce fruit and grow and ripen to maturity. You got dynamite living inside of you, man. Right? You got dynamite living inside of you. Truth. Christians who aren't growing in the word of truth, (laughs) they're not going to be increasing in fruit. Maybe you could say it this way. If you're not experiencing fruit and you're not growing, because I, I can guarantee you there's nothing wrong with the power source. Probably means you're not connected to the power source. Right? You're not, not in tune with, with what's coming. And I love that he uses the word growing because it tells me it's a process. We somehow like got in this age where we're like, we try to tell people it should be instant. It should be Parts of it are instant. Parts of it's a guarantee. But the rest of it is growing. It's a process that that we have to allow to to run its course. And when to run its course, we get to things like verse 8 where he says, this guy came to me and he told me about your love of the Spirit. He he talks about love like five times in this intro about these guys. These were a loving group that had a great reputation. Are we described that same way? You know, we're supposed to read about other churches so we can try to mimic them if they did good or stay away from them if they did bad, right? Are we described in the world today, do we have a reputation of those that are loving. Do we have a reputation that we're praying for other people? Paul said others need your prayer. So, so he starts praying for them. If you get nothing else out of this, because I'm going to tell you six things on what you can pray now, right? I put praying for, and then I think as my, my subtitle Paxton asked me this morning, I wrote it after Crystal left. I said, how to and what for? How to pray. You pray for thankfulness. You pray for praises. And then what for? I'm going to go into six what fors. And if you don't think you got nobody else to pray these what fors for, you praying for me. Deal? Huh? I'll tell you right now, you're praying for me and I'll be happy. I think your church members need them. I think your family need them. Your friend need them. I think your enemies need them. But if you don't want to pray for none of them, you're praying for me. All right? You want to be bold enough to step up to the call, to stand in the gap and pray for somebody. Here, here's, here's six things Paul says as he finishes out this, this first section. I'm going to go to verse 9. And he tells them what he's asking for. Again, he's so specific. He told him, well, I'm specifically, here's what I'm grateful for that you've done. And now here's what I'm praying specifically for that you'll get, right? And here's what he says, verse 9. That they would know God's will. Look at where verse 9 says. Filled with the knowledge of his will. Again, go back to, to what I just said a minute ago. He could have prayed that they're not persecuted. He could have prayed that they get good health. He could have prayed that they prosper, gain political power, whatever it was. But what does he pray? He prays that they get God's will. That they understand knowledge of God's will. Why? Because Paul understood what good is it to be perfectly healthy without Christ? What good is it to have possessions if you lose your soul? What good is it to have political power if you don't know the will of God? What good is it to have a head full of knowledge if you're not going to apply it? Because that goes into the second point, which these two go together. So number two is this. Not only that they would know God's will. Number two, that they would know how to walk it. But they would know how to walk it. Look at verse 10. Paul's writing and he says, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in him. 
I want your spiritual understanding and not just spiritual understanding. I want spiritual understanding that goes deeper than just head knowledge. I want you to apply this stuff. I want it to become something you're, you're actually doing. So if you go back to verse 9, taking into account verse 10 now, this is so much more than just knowing. What does the verse actually say? Go back to 9 on the screen. For this reason, since the day we heard of this, we ain't stopped praying for, what are we praying for? That you may be filled. Filled. You realize whatever you're filled with controls you? You ever get filled with anger? Nobody brave enough? You ever get filled with jealousy? You ever get filled with fear? You ever get filled with hate? Whatever you're filled with controls you. Think back to those moments you were filled with some of those things I just now listed. Go even deeper. You ever get filled with passion? You ever seen somebody who's so full of passion, but they're not experienced? I love, I'm telling you, I love, like I don't mean it in a bad way all the time. I think it's a good thing. I laugh so hard. Caroline come down to the office and she told me, she said, hey, Paxton wants to do a, a car wash. Like he came up with it on his own. I'm like, well, that makes sense. He's related to me. Anything related to cars would be a, a good thing. I'm like, when do you want to do it? She said, today. So filled with passion, yet so clueless about what it takes to make it happen. Right? We ain't got no soap. We ain't, it's going to rain today. Who's going to pay for a car wash in the rain? What you going to advertise? The Lord going to rinse it for you? Huh? We going to wash it for you. Jesus going to rinse it for you. Come get a car wash. Right? Huh? No soap, no rags, no towels. I mean, we're not prepared whatsoever. But we're driven with passion. Sometimes passion gets you in trouble now. What you're filled with, you can be motivated by passion. And I hope you understand I'm talking more than car washes right now. Right? You can be motivated by passion, but if you're filled with only passion, it drives you. What you're filled with drives you, right? So, so write it down right now. Please take time this afternoon to answer it if you don't do it right now. Right now, what is controlling you? What are you filled with that's controlling you? Grief, hatred, aggravation, greed. What's controlling you? Bitterness towards something that you've had to deal with for so long? Because I'm going to tell you right now, until you get rid of whatever you're filled with, it's going to continue to control you longer. Some of y'all being controlled by something so long, it's now become second nature to you. And, and, and I think that's where, where Paul's really getting ready to go here with, with one of the things he lists in a minute. And maybe even more, let's flip it back to the religious front, right? Maybe even more this. He understands that you can be filled with the knowledge of God, but not be filled with God. Maybe he's even getting to some of the groups that are combating the beliefs in Colossae right now, right? Maybe he's telling them, like, they got, they got a lot of knowledge, but they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. You can know the will of God and not be filled with the Word of God. What he's praying and what he's saying right here as he transitions is he's saying, I want you guys to apply what you know. This doing, this walk, this, what did he say? Worthy of. Man, you know, you can get so much out of just questions from Scripture. Am I living a life that's worthy of Jesus? Are you living a life that's worthy of Jesus? That's what he's saying. He goes, you can live a life that's worthy of Jesus. I think Jesus deserves fully pleasing, producing fruit. And this is huge, man. This is huge. Why? Because he's not praying that circumstances change, guys. When I talk about how to pray and what to pray for, maybe that's part of the biggest lesson you get out of it. He's not even praying for circumstances to change. Nowhere in this whole thing does he do that, right? He's praying that they know how to and do Apply God's truth to their circumstances. What he's praying is that I pray that you learn how to handle circumstances. I'm praying that when a car comes in the lane at you, that you use your head and you slow down. You let them get over and you say, I love you. And mean it in your heart. Rather than debate on turning around and chase. I mean, um, getting home so that you can study. That's bad when you're going home to study scripture. I connected how bad that moment was. That was a bad, bad moment. Don't follow... My example, do what I say, not what I do. Uh-huh. This is important, man. This is, this is a big prayer. What are you saying? Be transformed in your... You ever, you ever thought about that? Right? Maybe, maybe that's a good thing. Be transformed in your circumstances. That's how you can determine how real you are in your walk with God. When you're being transformed in your, your circumstances, ain't changing, but you're being transformed in your circumstances. Right? Strengthen with all might. Look at what he says in the next part of the verse. Strengthen with all might as we walk worthy of the Lord. It's His strength... That helps us do this. 
It's His strength that promotes us and allows us to get through life challenges. It's His strength that allows us to endure and overcome problems. If you're doing it on your own strength, that's when you do dumb stuff. Right? Our lives should not be guided from our expectations or anybody else's expectations. Our lives should be guided by God's expectations. And that's what Paul's getting at here as he's writing this church and he's making sure they understand it. I want you guys to be guided by the Lord and His will. Don't fall into the trap or being trapped into a life of trying to please others. The bugs. Don't try to please the bugs. Right? Fall into a life where you're trying to please the Lord and the Lord only. Paul's time, people valued knowledge. Like it was just something that was sought after. And even today, certain certain areas of the world, like we, we value knowledge. But knowledge is useless if it's not applied right. Not, knowledge isn't worth anything unless it's led to, to change a life and, and promote right living, right? It's one thing to know God's will. It's another thing to allow it to change how we feel about things. I don't know if you guys have been there yet, but in my walk, I've had to change some of my feelings about things because of God's will and desire. Huh? And sometimes that's been through other people, by the way. You guys, my wife especially, have been like vessels and tools that God has used to open my eyes and my heart to see, man, I kind of need to change my view on some stuff. Right? And that's a tough thing to do, man. Because they, they say by the time you're in your 30s, like you kind of... You kind of rooted in your beliefs, right? So I don't know what that means as you approach 40. Um, that's right around the corner. But like, I'm thinking like, man, what, what, what is that? What does that mean for me? It means I better get my stuff right now, right? It means I better be willing to let barriers be broke down so that I can change it the right way so that I can accept his will above my will. Paul's praying and he says, I pray that God will reveal his will through clarity, not only through clarity, but that you guys will understand it, that not only you would understand it, but you would accept it. Not only that you would accept it, but you would allow it then to change your behavior and then align yourself into his will. Are we willing to have all that take place? Look at number three. There's only six, so we're flowing, right? He says, I want to pray for productivity in your life. Productivity in your life. Look at the second part of back to 10. Bearing fruit in every good work. You know, you can do good works without bearing eternal fruit. There's a lot of organizations out there to do that. Bearing good fruit all the time, yet with no eternal reward or effort from it, right? Fruitfulness comes out of purposefulness. Is that a word, purposefulness? It is today, right? I just took a bunch of stuff and added it to the end of the word to make it look like a really long, smart word, right? Good fruit comes from knowing your purpose. That's all that means. If you know your purpose, you can produce good fruit. If not, you might be a bug, right? God wants us to learn. He wants us to learn more, man. He wants us to put our belief into practice. So Paul prays and he goes, I pray that you guys will continue to be productive in your lives. Second thing, or fourth thing he prays for him. I pray that you'll have a growing relationship with God. I can't tell you how many people throughout the course of life that have even come to the decision of proclaiming faith and then dropping out of church. You know what I'm saying? Learning the memory verse, getting baptized and then, then done. Then out. Getting their name on a church roll and then you never see them again. Right? I mean, it's just crazy and it's sad. Why? Because what is Paul praying? Look at again in verse 10. I guess you called us like 10C. He's, he's praying. I pray that you're increasing in the knowledge of God. I pray that you're increasing in the knowledge of God, that you're growing in your relationship with Him. Most of what you learn about God, guys, won't be until you know His will, live out His will, and begin to produce fruit. But if you look at other people who are walking a good life and you're like, man, I want to get the knowledge they got. You got to do what they're doing. They got a great knowledge because they're doing great things because they're allowing God's will to, to take over their will. Right. We don't get satisfied in a relationship when we want it to go further. We learn more. Correct. Right. In any relationship. Think about when you when you're first meeting somebody. If you care, you, you ask a little bit more than their name. Right. Now, if you don't, if somebody only asked your name, that just tells you they're not interested. So move on. Right. But if they asked your favorite color. Right. If they asked, you know, your future plans, if they they wanted to seek out knowledge about you and they actually learn things about you, that means they care. Should it be any different with Christ? Should it be constantly wanting to seek out what does he want? What is his desire? How can I change? I really believe God can't even fully disclose himself to us until we become obedient children. Right? You notice, those of you that are parents, you notice the older your kids get, how that relationship changes? Like in a good way, hopefully. Right? Like you begin to like being able to share stuff with them more. 
You can joke about certain things. You can, you can, you can promote good things. You can have real conversations with them. Right? Some of y'all don't even know. Some of y'all new parents, y'all ain't got no clue. Like y'all think life is set up while sitting on the couch going goo goo gaga at some baby looking over you with drool coming out of their mouth. You totally missing what's coming. I'm telling you, like deep conversations are going to come the older they get. Right? You can grow and you can promote. I don't think that's any different with the Lord. He looks at us and the more we're maturing in our faith, he says, oh, we can go to that next level in a deeper conversation. Oh, let me share this verse with them. Let me give them this life experience. Let me put this person in their life to share with them. Verse five or number five, verse 11. Not only praying for that productivity and the increasing knowledge. He says, I pray for power in their life. I pray for power. Verse 11. Strengthen with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. This is a bad illustration, but it's real accurate. Bad is in like, I don't know if you ever want to be compared to a vacuum cleaner, but that's where I'm going. Right? Think of yourself like a vacuum cleaner. That vacuum cleaner was created to do great things, correct? Right? Everybody understand that? I mean, that's some cool technology now, for real. Especially if you got one of the fancy ones where it's got like, and I know because in a minute my boy's going to be like, Dad, we don't have vacuum cleaner. We got that little Roomba thing. That it, it's still got to have a battery in it at the end, okay? So just hold on to it, right? But like, it's, it's really cool. It's created, it's got the suction power, different kind of stuff it can go over. Like, it, it's, just, it's been created to do great things. But if you don't use it, what's it accomplish? Nothing. If it's not plugged in, what does it accomplish? Nothing. If it ain't, if Roomba ain't been charged, what does it accomplish? It gets stuck under my chair by the fireplace every single time. Right? I don't know if it likes the fireplace spot or what, but I'm sick of it being there. Right? So, nothing. The vacuum, as much as it's created, as much science went into it, as awesome as it is, it still has to rely on a power source. However awesome you get, if you're doing everything on your own, you're missing out on the power source. And what Paul's praying here is he's saying, I'm praying that they will be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For what? For the steadfastness, for the, for the endurance. You know what patience translates into? We did that word. Long suffering. You realize he's saying like, I want to give you power to deal with the long suffering. Because some of you are thinking like, I just pray that he takes the long suffering away. That ain't what he said though. I'm just being honest. He's not, he didn't say that he can help you deal with it. And maybe then it will go away. But, but his prayer is what? That I give you power to endure the long suffering. That I'll be with that. Now I think that's even better. Because it's, 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 it's such a cool thing when you've got somebody who says, you know what? I'll come sit with you while you're in pain. I'll be with you while you're hurting. I'll have compassion on you while you're, I'll come wipe your tears and your snot up while you're getting your ugly cry on. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that's the kind of thing that, that Christ is doing. He says, I'll be with you during that. I'm not leaving you. I'm not departing from you or anything like that. I'm with you. But without that power source, without the, the spirit of Christ, we're not effective, man. We might do things on our own, but there's no eternal value in things that are on our own. We need to depend on God. And that's what Paul's praying. He goes, I pray that you guys will depend on God. Your dependence on him will be in, in, inverted to a strengthening ability right here. And it's important to ask this kind of stuff for other people, by the way. Remember, Paul is praying this over a church. He's praying. He says, I pray that, that, that you'll have this power. Why? Because without this power, you won't be able to make this difference. You won't be able to bear this, this fruit. Without this power... You won't be able to face adversity. You won't be able to have patience during trials. You won't be able to endure and finish the race and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Number six, last thing he prays for him. <laughs> One I did not have yesterday as I confessed already. He prays that they'll have the right attitude. Verse 12, look at it. One filled with joy and gratitude. What's he say, verse 12? Joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Man. Paul is praying that they would have and maintain a positive, thankful, joyful attitude. You know why he's praying for people's attitude? Because your attitude affects every area of your life. Every area of your life is affected by your attitude. Your behavior, your ability to learn, your contentment, how good of a spouse you are, how good of a worker you are, how good of a believer you are. Every area of your life is affected by your attitude. You got a grumpy attitude, it ain't going to be good, right? And notice what he says here. He, go, he uses the right wording because he says, I'm praying for your joyful attitude. Remember, joy is different than happiness. 
Joy is an eternal thing. Joy is a joy, joy comes from, from the inside. Happiness comes from the external, the outside. Happiness comes from happenings. It's an easy way to remember. Right? He's saying this joy, this, this thing is linked to that hope you had earlier. To that, that faith you had earlier. To that love you had earlier. This isn't just a, a fleeting emotion. This is a long-term kind of thing. And I think as he's doing this, here, here's another little bonus, right? And Because I, I believe this. As you spend time increasing the amount of time you pray for other people, it'll affect your attitude toward people. Start praying for somebody and see how quickly your attitude changes about them. Right? I'm being dead serious, man. You, you got somebody you don't like? Don't look around at them. What's wrong with you? Man, now they know you don't like them. Right? <laughs> pray for them. I'll tell you right now. Pray for somebody you don't like. Pray for somebody you got a problem with. See how it changes. I promise you it will change. Right? Either that or you'll just start praying for God to smite them. I don't know. One of the two. But I really believe like one of the little lessons we get in this thing is the more we pray for somebody, the more compassion we have over them. The more we pray about certain circumstances, even circumstances we didn't know where we agreed with, like it just produces a, a different thing inside of us, right? You'll find that where you once used to be focused on praying that you're receiving something, now it's, now it's shifted that you want to bless somebody else. Because you fully believe and understand, like, it's better to give than to receive, right? Where you used to focus on, on your own injury, now, now you're focused on, on somebody else getting healed. Where you, where you used to focus and, and be worried about your problems, now you're focusing on God's power to solve the problem, right? Not focusing on the problem, but focusing on the, on the solution. You find your prayers begin to change others, but it also begins to change you. I think that's a cool bonus that God throws at us through this thing, right? They will become what they never thought they could have become because you prayed for them. Paul is praying for this church and setting the whole tone for the rest of this letter. And I'll tell you, we would never get through this many verses in the rest of Colossians. At least I don't think so, right? But, but this intro, man, he's setting the stage for what's coming with a lot of this stuff. And a lot of this stuff just goes back to some of the basic beliefs that we need to have that we've gotten away from. Helping others because of what you believe. Loving others and producing fruit because of the call that God has in, in your life, Right? This faith, hope, and love, looking upward to God, sharing it with others, and then resting in, the, in that future. This is what the church of Christ is supposed to look like. A body of believers known for great faith, great love, and great hope. And I think we do a great job of it. Don't get me wrong. But I think there's always room for us to improve. There's always moments where we can, we can increase and do better. Build a better reputation, right? Share with more people. Get more people involved. Be concerned with your own spiritual growth. Sure. Examine your fruit. Make sure it's the right fruit. We said like, you can produce fruit, but it can't. It, sometimes it's, it's not eternal fruit. Make sure we're producing it. Make sure the motive behind everything is right. You know, we use this, this, this trailer for an example. If we were just getting this house ready and it was so that we could have our name on it and so that we could be proud of look what we did, there's no eternal fruit in it. But if we did that so somebody could feel the love of Christ... So they had a place, so they were safe. So now we're, now we're worried about their eternal feeling with Christ. We're worried about their safety. We're worried about their future safety, the little kids and all that's involved. When we expand it to, to things deeper than that, now we're talking about eternal fruit. It's different. Allow your love to be an expression of not only who you are, but whose you are. How, how's your growth, man? How, how's your love? Maybe, 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 maybe that's a good way to wrap it up. Is your love proactive or is your love reactive? You understand the difference? <coughs> Reactive love comes because something was done. Proactive means you sought out. You approached. You went for. You chased after. You realize God has called you to go out? I don't know where we've, we've corrupted the, the idea in the church of what? Oh, let's just open the doors and tell everybody to come. That ain't the scripture. What does scripture say? Go. Go get them. Go get them and drag them back inside. Go get them and plead with them and beg them to come. You know what I'm saying? Like, like man, we got a website to tell everybody they can come anytime. That is the key. The key is not like telling them to come. The key is going to get them. It's a different. And believe me, just as any girl likes to be pursued, I promise you those that are lost and hurting like to be pursued too. Amen. Because it means what? It means that somebody cares. Huh? It means that somebody's trying to reach out. It means that they're more important than whatever feelings the individual is feeling. Let's make people feel more important than we feel about ourselves. Let's pray.
Father God, we love you. We thank you for your power, Lord God. God, we thank you for your presence. Lord, I think back to that lyric of that song that we came on right before we preached, Lord God. Lord, we just we thank you that your presence is here so the miracles can take place. Lord, I pray for somebody in here, Lord God, that the fruit we've been producing ain't right, Lord God, that you, you share that with us. God, if there's some attitudes that need to change, then Lord God, promote that. Lord, if there's some growth that needs to take place, if there's some faith that needs to be increased, if there's some hope that needs to be assured, God, may we not make hope something we're wishing for, Lord God. May it be something that we're assured of because of your promises. God, may we get this stuff, Lord God, so that we can have that love, so that we can be made known by our love for you most of all, and then our love for the world outside, Lord God. God, make the things you're passionate about the things we're passionate about. In your great name we pray. Amen.